Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Yes, you are. Today's buzz, reinvention. Let's get started. It's no longer just a personal motto. Reinvent yourself. People also say it's time to get unstuck. Guess what? It's now a mantra, even a standard in many leading companies' business plans. Why? The need to reinvent, to transform is being driven by a whole host of elements, technology advancements, scarcity, global market conditions, the continually evolving B2B and B2C relationships. What are they anymore? And a lot more. But when you consider for your company, the concept of business transformation, do you think of it as an art, if you think of it at all, an art, a science, or a combination of both? Guess what? Your very survival could depend on getting it right in the long term. We've assembled a panel of three experts today who are going to walk you through it, take you through it, give you some examples, and hopefully we'll come up with some practical advice we can share with you on how to look at business transformation, the insight-driven kind of innovation. So let's get started. First up on the panel today is a newcomer to SAP Radio. His name is Eric Lowett. He's the Managing Director at Nexus Global Advisors. And here is the quote from Eric to start us off. He says, be as uncomfortable as possible for as long as possible. And that came from his college guidance counselor on the eve of Eric's study abroad experience in Japan. I think he speaks Japanese, too, if we ask him nicely. Eric Lowett. Welcome. How are you today? I'm terrific, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. So talk to me. Be as uncomfortable as possible for as long as possible. Let's relate this to our topic today, business transformation. You got it. So a tiny bit of context, and I'll tie it right back. Uh, Many years ago, many, many years ago, according to my kids, I was 19 years old at one time, uh, in college in New York, and made the decision to study in Japan for the next two years of my life. The night before I was supposed to go to Japan, I was a nervous wreck. Couldn't speak, couldn't breathe, heart's pounding out of my chest. Called my guidance counselor at college. Paul, am I doing the right thing? Am I supposed to be going to Japan? And he said, Eric, what you're feeling right now is discomfort. You're incredibly uncomfortable with that right now. Congratulations. Now start your next two years of your life remembering this feeling every day of your life. And the reason why you're uncomfortable it's because you don't know where the boundaries are in Japan. You don't speak the language. You don't know the culture. You don't know the rules of engagement. As you put yourself in that uncomfortable environment, you have to become comfortable with uncertainty. You're going to have to be able to find patterns out of small data and chaos. And ultimately, you're going to have to create your own rules and your own boundaries to thrive in the long term. And I think that is a perfect segue for the future of business. Because we are headed toward an era of great discomfort, where every boundary and every assumption upon which companies rely for their success, rapidly and unpredictably changing and evolving, and it's only those companies that embrace discomfort that can find patterns out of chaos and that can create their own rules over time, those are the companies that ultimately will thrive and succeed in the future of business. 
Thank you, Eric. Great start to our topic. I'll share a tiny little anecdote with you. I used to play piano. I took classical piano lessons from the age of seven. And I remember going to one of my recitals, those dreaded things where you had to go up in front of everybody's parents and play something and hope you didn't miss the key or fall off the bench. When you were seven, you could have, of course. And I remember my teacher saying to me, if you're not nervous, you're not really in it. You're not, well, we didn't use the phrase in the moment in those days, but the idea was if you're not uncomfortable, as your guidance counselor told you, then you're really not in it for what you can get from it. So I can identify. Eric, thank you for starting us off. Let's turn to our second panelist, Patrick Heffernan, Practice Manager for TBR's Professional Services Practice. We have a very interesting quote, as it's stated as wisdom from a three-year-old. First time we've had a three-year-old quoted on the show, Patrick, and the quote is, sometimes pumpkin look like oranges. Hmm. Patrick Heffernan, welcome back. How are you? Uh, thank you very much, Bonnie. Doing really well. I appreciate the time on this program. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Talk to me. Who's the three-year-old? Are you allowed to divulge their identity? Oh, sure. Yeah, it's uh, the daughter of one of my colleagues. And we were talking the other day about business transformation, about this subject, and um, completely not related to our discussion at all. He said, oh, I have to tell you something funny my, my daughter said, and, and uh, he shared that, and I thought, you know what, actually that fits perfectly with what we're going to be talking about. Okay, so, yeah, go ahead, continue. <laughs> so I need to explain that, don't I? Um, Please. Yeah, so, you know, you can, you can look at that a couple, I mean, look, it's a three-year-old talking, so, you know, maybe it means you need to be ready to, to look at things in a new way, maybe it means you by appearances, or maybe it just means you need to listen to three-year-olds, because after all, when we all transform <laughs> our businesses, it's the three-year-olds that are coming up that are going to take over from us. Uh, but, I, you know, I think it is it is important to listen to new ideas, to be open to them, but then you, need, you do need to be ready to overcome the obstacles, uh, including inertia, in the way of transformation. And, you know, that's sort of the don't be fooled by appearances. I mean, you, you may think as a company that, you, you know, you're, you're full of oranges, but you just look at them as pumpkins and maybe there's something there. And then the last part is, you, you know, you do need to take on new things. Um, and mm-hmm. it, even when you take on new things, you, you know, you, you still need to stay. And I know we're going to talk about this um, as, as we go through this topic, but being able to transform while still maintaining what is the core strengths that you have or what are, or what are the core values that you bring. Um, so, you know, you, a pumpkin might look like an orange, but it's still a pumpkin. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Business transformation. Good segue. Thank you, Patrick. And let's turn to our third panelist, a newcomer also to SAP Radio. It's Sunil Patel. He's a vice president for SAP's value partnership practice in the Americas. And here's a very long business quote. Let's hear what Sunil has to say. He says, many organizations today do not feel they have the capability to become a digital enterprise. Their spend is mostly maintaining what they have rather than innovating. With so many changes pushing them toward this digital future, and he's talking about the Internet of Things, of course, big data, of course, the changing workforce, of course. They need strategies to modernize and innovate simultaneously. Welcome, Sunil Patel. How are you today? I'm very good, Bonnie. Thank you for having me today. Oh, pleasure to have you on the show. So talk to me. A lot of meat on the bones here. Let's talk about this. They don't think they have the capability to become a digital enterprise. What kinds of companies are we talking about, Sunil? I think we're talking about all kinds of companies that are facing changes and almost having to become more and more technology companies. I mean, I I hearken this back to, you know, if we summarize this, it's really, you know, in in either change or get run over, basically, in some industries. I mean, you can – we have numerous, numerous examples. For instance, 
video rental. We all know what happened to Blockbuster as an example. All of that mm-hmm. went to technology with a company called Netflix. And we can go on and on with several industries. But basically, that balance between maintaining what you have and innovating at the same time and, you know, while you have all these market forces, changing your industry is is pretty dramatic. So either, I guess, change or get run over is pretty much the way it's summarized. Change. That, that's pretty dire. That's, that's something you wouldn't <laughs> want to see in the mirror when you wake up in the morning. How do companies know they need to change? When do they feel this impetus? Do they, like you just said, Sunil, do they look in the papers, in the business press, online, and say, OMG, look what just happened to so-and-so. They were so big. They were so successful. They were so profitable. And then, boom, they were bounced off of the wagon because they didn't change. They didn't go with the flow. So when does a company get to realize that they may not think they have the capability Capability, but they know we'd better do it or perish. When does that awakening come, Sunil? I think it comes uh, when they start losing their significant customers, right? And a lot of companies lose touch with their customers because they've you know, created layers or they haven't created the right digital connections. I mean, all the movement in social media today, uh, companies aren't prepared for that is a great example, right? So Mm -hmm. you have to stay tight with your customers, otherwise you won't see the change coming. Very interesting. You have to listen to them. Thank you very much, Sunil. Good panel, good opening. Guess what? I'm going to ask you all a very tough question, probably the hardest question I'll ask you all day today during the show. What's in your cup today, or what do you wish you were drinking? So let's circle back to Eric Lowett at Nexus Global Advisors. Eric, where are you, first of all? How's the weather, and what are you drinking, or what do you wish you were drinking? Great questions all around. Uh, First, I'm in Boston, and it's cold, and it's rainy, and it's gray. But I really wish I was drinking with something hot and warm. What I am drinking, which is just as good, is a Naked Juice green machine because it's got grass in it and spinach and parsley and broccoli <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. And it freaks my kids out to see me drink this stuff. <laughs> what does it taste like? Please tell me. You want to talk about being uncomfortable. Um, yeah, yeah, I do. It, I, am al- I am already, and I imagine Patrick and Sunil are just listening to it. What does it taste like? You put lemon in it, you put salt and pepper in it. What do you do? You know, it's actually really good. Um, it took me it took me three or four uh, of these things to kind of get used to them. But now I don't even taste the spinach or the grass. Every once in a while I'll taste the daffodil maybe. But um, otherwise, it actually has like a good sort of sugary taste. Or the better answer is I'm supposed to say, much like any other type of, of drink or food, it tastes like chicken. <laughs> I have to ask you, is there kale in it, please? Yes or no? Oh, gosh, yes. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. I, we, we had to get the kale there. Thank you very much, Eric. I think the taste of that th- thought of your drink will stay with me all day. I'm just drinking water. That's all they let me have on radio show days. You can imagine why. No caffeine for me. Patrick Heffernan, you know the drill. Where are you today, Patrick, and what are you drinking? So I am about 35, maybe 40 miles north of Eric, uh, up here in Hampton, New Hampshire, where it's colder and grayer and rainier. Uh, and I've I've got a... Uh, a cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee because you can't live in New England and not drink Dunkin' Donuts. But sitting, but that's not what I want because sitting on my desk is a uh, a can that used to have in it coffee uh, grounds from Cafe Du Monde in New Orleans, and uh, mm. I would say that I'm I'm dying to to have it, but I know I'm going there at the end of this month uh, for a little long weekend away. So that's that's what I wish was in my cup this morning, and that's what I know I'm going to have when I get down there in the end of May. Well, that's certainly something to look forward to. Thank you very much. And Sunil Patel, where are you calling from and what are you drinking? 
Hi, I'm calling from uh, Austin, Texas, which is, uh, of course, where I live. And I have um, a coffee from McDonald's, actually, which is where I went this morning with, uh, you know, soy milk and creamer, et cetera. So, and that is what I'd want to be drinking. Maybe I'd want to get, you know, a latte or espresso or something a little bit stronger, but uh, that's, that's what I'm drinking today. Bonnie. For right now. Thank you very much, Sunil. Guess what? It's time for our first break. We're actually ahead of schedule here. Two minutes ahead of schedule. That means more time for our marathon roundtable. We come back. Woohoo. Guess what? You're listening to the latest, newest live edition of Future of Business with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP Services. Shout out to Dave Fowler, who's on the road today, and Andy Grieg, who is in waterlogged Philadelphia. And we have Sylvia Santelli listening on the line, and we have Michelle also listening on the line from SAP, and they're doing some wonderful tweeting of what our panelists are saying. The words of wisdom are being captured for posterity. So we're going to go to our first break. When we come back, we'll be talking a lot more with Eric Lowett at Nexus Global Advisors, Patrick Heffernan at TBR, and Sunil Patel from SAP. Our topic today, the future of business transformation, insight-driven innovation, do or die. You better listen up. We have some great practical strategies for you, insights, and this is important for companies of every size, and we'll tell you why. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brad out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. Invent yourself and in business terminology, that's called business transformation. We're going to find out a lot more with my guests today, Eric Lowett at Nexus Global Advisors, Patrick Heffernan at TBR, and Sunil Patel at SAP. We're going to kick off our marathon roundtable. It's going to go, I think, exactly 30 minutes. Woohoo! Put your seatbelts on, panelists. It's going to be an interesting ride. We're going to kick this off with one of the talking points I received before the show from Eric Lowett. And Eric says there's a perfect storm of seemingly disconnected trends that are converging to shape the future of business. So let's, I think there's a lot to talk about in that. And then we will invite, of course, Patrick and Sunil to chime in and expand the conversation. Go ahead, Eric. So we think about reinventing ourselves. One of the things we think about is what's our remit? What's our job going to be? What's our responsibility going to be? And every thought leader needs to have, I think, that sort of acronym that describes what it is that they like to talk about. And for me, REMIT is the perfect acronym 
because it describes this amazing storm of seemingly disconnected megatrends that are coming together at the same time, all of which are driving, shaping, and informing what I believe to be the future of business. And let me just take a minute. I'll go through each one really quickly to paint yeah. what, you know, what these are. First one is reach. And Neil talked about digital, talked about social media, this ability for people around the world with seemingly disconnected but with uh, similar interests to not only be able to reach each other, but then to reach companies as well. So you've got a company like Coca-Cola sitting on 84 million Facebook fans right now. That means they've got a possibility at any time at any moment to touch 84 million people right off the bat. We've never had that level of reach, and reach is two ways. It's both reach from customers to companies to complain or to compliment and vice versa. So reach is one of those trends that's shaping the future of business. The second part of what I call remits is E, and it stands for employees. When you think about the labor pool, we saw labor stats come out yesterday. Labor pool is getting younger. Millennials coming into the market. Millennials coming into the market at mid-management type levels. They don't want a gold watch at retirement. They want $500 million in their bank account right now. So what does that mean for companies as we, as we think about succession planning? What does it mean for companies as we think about how to attract and retain best talent? The M in remits stands for math. Very simply put, one big blue orb, Earth floating in space, 7 billion people today, 10 billion people by 2050. Those additional 3 billion people representing 33% growth in population, they have the same, uh, the same rights to food, to water, to energy, to shelter, to ways of uh, making a living. How do we do it? How do we make math work? I is innovation, that's driving transformation, we'll talk about that more. T is for technology, the same thing. S is for stakeholders. Stakeholders is critical here because what we see and what I'm seeing now and with more and more mid and large size companies is that no longer is the CEO mandate to maximize shareholder value, but now the CEO mandate is to appease and maximize stakeholders value. That means you've got to make community activists happy if you want to have water from their local communities. You want to put a big retail shop in a city that has only mom and pops, you've got to appease those community activists. You can't just be thinking about, as a CEO, your shareholders' interests. Now you have to be thinking about stakeholders as well. So this notion of remits, reach employees, math, innovation, technology, and stakeholders, creating this perfect storm, shaping and informing the future of business. Very, very good kickoff to our roundtable. Thank you, Eric. Patrick Heffernan, thoughts on any or all of what Eric introduced into the conversation? Talk to me. Yeah, you know, I think it's great um, starting off with R, and I know I know you started with R, so you could spell remit rather than M to spell merit or T to spell <laughs> teamer or something. But uh, the reach part of it is what I guess what I'm seeing here is beyond just the sort of the you mentioned the the Coca-Cola the, the business to um business to consumer network it's really in in a lot of ways the network that this like you said technology connecting like-minded people and and so businesses now uh, corporations now operations have the chance to have their own people connected with others within their own business climate, but then even outside of it, um, whether it's experts at, you know, another company, uh, experts at a competitor, whether it's it's uh, customers that they couldn't have reached before because they would have had to go through sales or they'd have to go through marketing or something. Now you've got networks of professionals, networks of people that want to be in touch because they share things, want to be in touch because they have um, shared backgrounds or experiences. And that 
impact on business and how business gets done, I think, is, is going to make a big difference. It's so that the technology, that reach that's connecting companies to consumers in a new way or companies to their, you know, or even, you know, the CEO to new stakeholders, I think that that also connects everybody to everybody else. And that network effect is going to continue to change the way businesses operate. Um, you can't have the same kinds of um, siloed or structured or uh, enforced relationships that you've had in the past. Instead, you're going to have to tell your, your folks, hey, go out there and go out there and connect. We expect you to be a, a networked professional, not just a, a, an expert within our own company. Thank you, Patrick. Sunil Patel, thoughts? I know there's a lot to talk about here. What, what, do you, what would you like to discuss? Absolutely. I mean, I, I love the way um, Eric presented his, his remits framework. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's excellent. So one, the one I'd like to comment on is, you know, innovation and how entire industries are just getting changed and turned upside down, even ones we wouldn't think are normally, you know, fully technology-driven. You know, for instance, you know, the, the whole retail channel, how that's been changed, right? Um, you know, everything with digital distribution, just that innovation and really staying ahead and thinking ahead and trying to new ideas, almost continuing to test them in a concept way to see how your industry will change. I think it's all really important, right, is to keep an eye and an ear on that innovation to, to, to make change happen in your organization. So I just wanted to add to that one, Bonnie. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Anybody else want to talk about the remits before I go in a slightly different direction? And the direction will be up. And I'm going to look at something from Patrick Heffernan's notes. Anything else on remits? Eric, you want to uh, add something? I do, Bonnie. Thank you. Uh, it's mm-hmm. Eric. Really quick. Here is uh, remits not only plays out individually, but it also plays out in connect- interconnected ways. So think about a public utility company that traditionally has had its rates set uh, through regulation and legislation. Now, all of a sudden, the state passes a law that says, well, residential customers are allowed to put, use technology to generate uh, renewable energy, solar power, wind power, geothermal, however you want to do it, so much so that not only can you satisfy your own, your own house's uh, utility needs, but you can actually put your excess energy that you personally generate back onto the grid. Now, all of a sudden, what does that mean from a reach and a technology and innovation perspective for that public utility CEO who's used to having customers as customers? Now those customers are micro-competitors or, at the very least, micro-suppliers. That changes business models dramatically, quickly, and disruptively. So I'm really excited to hear uh, the conversation as we move forward. Eric, can I, this yeah. is Patrick. Can I ask a question about that? Sure. Because what strikes me there is that you've got to overcome the – the, there's got to be somebody that wants to sell back. There's got to be a consumer that says, okay, this is a new relationship for me too. Do you think, uh, do you think that as much as the businesses, you know, utilities in your particular uh, example, um, have to change? I mean, how, how easy is it to make that mindset change for consumers that turn from, from what you just described to, to, to people that just buy the stuff to actually people that turn around and sell it too? Yeah, no, Patrick, you're making a great point, which is there's a difference between awareness and motivated preference. Awareness is, hey, there's a state law that allows me to do this. Motivated preferences, and I'm going to do it. I'll I'll share this. We are about to renovate our house. We're about to actually take it down and completely rebuild it. We're using the same contractor we did five years ago who did a quick add-on to our house back then. Um, When we met with him five years ago, none of this sustainability, green, solar, renewable, none of this was on the drawing board. The first question he asked us this time around was, are you going to do solar? Are you going to do geothermal? 
So it was interesting. It wasn't that it was a push from me and my wife as consumers. It was actually a push from the third party, the middleman service provider, asking us if this is something we were going to do. So you're right. There is that motivated preference that needs to occur. But sometimes it's not necessarily the consumer who makes that choice. It can, in fact, be that, mid, that mid-market person who's helping you make that choice as well. Hmm. Good, good story. Thank you very much, Eric. I'm thinking that it's, it's an awareness. It's almost like a chain of, of consciousness uh, or perhaps a, change of consci- a chain of conscience, Eric, where somebody else is doing the green thinking for you and bringing it to your attention. Hey, what are you going to do about this? And saying this does matter. It matters to me, and it should matter to you too. Good, good points all. I want to turn to some talking points from Patrick Heffernan. You sent me before the show. Very interesting. We talk about business transformation. That's our main topic. But uh, let's talk about when is enough enough and when is enough not enough because it's too much. So I'm looking at your point here, Patrick. You say to businesses, know the floor before you set your lofty goals. And then you go on to say, when considering a transformation, businesses can often invest too much in setting and going after the highest aspirations without understanding what the minimal is that can and must be done to keep their business functional. And then you add CEOs with vision are great. Is this x-ray vision? Is this Google vision? What kind of vision does the CEO have to have, Patrick, so that they can see the floor? Such a good point. And I know that Eric and Sunil will want to chime in. So what floor are you looking for when you're saying, OMG, we have to transform? How high is up? How, high, how low is up? Go ahead. Right. So the danger of reading too much um, from an analyst relations group or from uh, the marketing side of the house is that you, you don't believe uh, a lot of what you read, uh, you get too too caught up in the hype. Um, and then the, the, the other advantage or, the, or disadvantage of having had a background um, in, in the intelligence field at times is that you don't believe anything you read. So I, mm-hmm. when I hear CEOs and when I hear um, business leaders, line of business leaders or, or whoever it might be, talking about the aspirations for their company and their, in, in transformation and how they're going to uh, take a new strategic vision and, and conquer the world. Um, I, what I wonder about is, is the, the folks, the COOs, the, the, the middle managers, the guys that are actually doing the operations and, and how that's trickling down and whether or not what is happening every day uh, on the ground, what is what is what has to get done? You know, at the end of the day, the money's got to come in and, and, and people got to get paid. And, and if that stuff is happening, if you're able to continue doing those uh, core business operations that, that actually keep the, the concern going, that keep your business in, in, in train. Mm-hmm. Keep the lights it's on. Possible, yeah, keep the lights on. Then it's possible to have that vision and say, here's where we're going. But, but you do need to know what it is you have to get done. And we have seen in, in our research more than a few companies that set a very lofty goal and spend an enormous amount of time and effort um, going after something that is maybe too far, but more importantly, it's taken their eyes off the ball of, of getting the, the real work done. And when when companies falter like that, it's it's very easy to look and say, well, they set the wrong goals. And, and, and that's not always the case. It's not about which goals you set. It's about what you understood to be those things that kept the lights on and whether or not you had in place the people and the process and the, the discipline to continue, you know, honestly, to continue making money and continue to keep the business running. And it that sounds really simplistic, but um, if you read enough of the, the grand strategic visions um, that we see sometimes, then, then you realize that putting that vision out there is totally different than actually being able to 
keep things happening, keep things moving along. Thank you, Patrick. Sunil, I know you have something to say about this, and I'm looking at one of your talking points on the same topic. You say a big decision is the choice between modernizing or restarting. Am I right? That's exactly the questions that we're bringing up right now, Sunil? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, my question really is how do you, you know, continue to do that innovation and new thinking, especially with all the changes that are happening and, you know, running your business at the same time? You know, how do you allocate that? How do you fast fail, if you will, to try to um, continue to try to new ideas and see what works? I mean, that's that's always the challenge for companies, right? Because a lot of times the way they're making a, the bulk of their money could be something that's going to dramatically change, right? Just just like the utility example we heard earlier, right? And so how do you keep how do you keep innovating and finding out what works quickly is really kind of my question, right? So. Mm-hmm. Okay, hey, and, and we'll, yeah, go ahead, Eric. Okay. Hey, Bonnie, it's Eric. So a couple of quick thoughts uh, for both for both Patrick and Sunil. Uh, Sunil, for you first, I, I think you're making a fantastic point, which is that that, fa- that fast fail. Because is it better to take six months to make the right decision, or is it better to take six weeks to make six wrong decisions that get you to the right decision even faster um, and even better? And I think about mm-hmm. a company like Capital One, right, 20 years ago, Credit card, the credit card industry was just this antiquated, hey, here's a piece of plastic, go out, spend money, it's a charge card. And then Capital One comes in, and they say, now we're going to use technology, and we're going to run hundreds of thousands of, of experiments trying to figure out what's that right bundle of benefits to offer consumers that are going to get consumers to only use the Capital One card. And whether that's the lower APR, whether that's more rewards, we'll do small tests continuously, to continuously learn because we want to fail, because for every hundred failures we have, we're going to get that one success story. And, and I think that there's, there's a lesson to be learned, I think, from that Capital One story from the, hey, if you've got 84 million Facebook fans, now you've got a great opportunity, Coca-Cola, for example, to actually do those fast, te- those fast tests within certain subgroups and learn quickly before you go to market. Um, you know, and then, Patrick, to your point as well, um, the point about you know doing getting the donuts out of the shop, so to speak, going back to your Dunkin' Donuts uh, beverage on your desk, and just keeping doing enough to keep the lights on and, and making business simple again, I could not agree more with as well. Right, there are companies out there, one of which I've already mentioned, but others as well that are telling me that they, their biggest nightmare is that they're about to become Polaroid or Kodak, that they are going to be passed. And it's one thing to be a technology company and become Polaroid or Kodak, because you could say, well, there is game-changing, disruptive technology, and we just didn't see it. But I'm hearing this Polaroid, Kodak moment, not just from tech companies, but from retailers and uh, consumer packaged goods companies, food and beverage companies, all of whom are concerned about, gosh, our heritage, our iconic brand, our iconic drink, our iconic product. The market doesn't want that anymore, but we've built an entire 100-plus-year business on top of this. Do we let it go, and do we start in a new direction? Do we acquire a different type of drink or a different type of product that the, cons- that the consumers want now? Do we modernize? Do we reset? How do we move forward? Because we're petrified of becoming Polaroid or Kodak. Thank you, Eric. Good point. So either Patrick or Sunil want to come back with anything? Uh, I'll just throw one thing out there. We, um, yeah. we spend a lot of time looking at technology companies. We actually had a webinar yesterday where we were talking about applications outsourcing and the impact from uh, – 
from cloud technology on applications. And uh, Eric, to your point about Polaroid and, and Kodak, you know, when you when you see the impact of, of cloud on outsourcing or on technology more generally, you can see companies that are, are looking at uh, looking at the same kind of future. And you know, these, these are tech companies that are saying, wait, we've invested now for years and years, and we've built up this incredible capability, and cloud might strip it all away. And that's that kind of disruptive thing. That's it's frightening. It really is. <laughs> Patrick, to your to your point, I wanted to bring Sunil in because in, in uh, his notes he told me that legacy versus cloud is the choice many companies are facing. So is it a good disruption, a bad, or is it all or nothing? Uh, Sunil, you want to chime in on this since Patrick brought it up? Well, absolutely. I think that you know, cloud as a disruption, disruptive force in technology can be a good thing for a lot of companies. Um, and what we're seeing a lot is sort of a hybrid approach. So you see some that some that you part of your technology that you want to keep in house, and some you want to move to cloud, and you take this hybrid approach, especially with things that you want to innovate and kind of move faster. So the cloud allows you to make a lot of those changes, you know, fairly quick. It allows you to keep fairly modern on the platform that your provider is providing, continuously updating. But then you can innovate and create your own distinctiveness on top, right? So again, I think. What a lot of people are hearing is that, you know, it's not necessarily one-size-fits-all, but you, in those areas where you need to innovate and maybe move faster, you know, modernize faster, the cloud makes a lot of sense, I mean, in, in what we're seeing. So I, I think that, that drive is great. Thank you. Sunil. Patrick, you want to come back with that? Anything to add? Yeah, it, that's exactly right to say uh, for cloud to be is a great disruptor. It's great for innovators. Uh, it's great for cloud customers, for technology companies, um, who have been providing the services that cloud is is um, eating away at. Um, it's maybe not such a good disruptor, but but it's forcing that kind of transformation, and, and we're seeing companies that are becoming technology companies that are becoming much more vertically focused, that are finding ways to leverage what's happening with cloud in order to provide a different set of services um, based on the, the, the technology and based on the expertise that they've already built up, or that are simply embracing cloud and taking on, you know, taking on that end-to-end role. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic disruptor. It is great for innovation. There's, there's probably not, not, not too many um, technology advances in the last couple of years that have, had, have opened up the door for innovation faster than cloud. Thank hey, you, Patrick. Hey, Bonnie, yep. Sunil. Can Go I ahead, add Eric. one more thing to that? Sure, Sunil. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think this this goes to a really important um, shift in you know in the market, if you will. So, in the consumer electronics market, of course, we're all familiar with the story of of Apple, where you know basically consumers you know chose that. And earlier on, a lot of technology had come from you know business technology on down, and it flowed to consumers. And now it's all like consumer-driven technology innovation. And what's important about something like cloud is that is line-of-business-driven innovation. So the organizations within a company who are driving that sort of change are, for instance, the sales and marketing teams. They don't no longer now need to wait for the technology, the IT group, to come up with something. And it's just like the procurement group in uh, you know procurement cloud technology doesn't need to wait. And so they can drive things faster. That's why I think this is a great change. Great, great points. Anybody else want to chime in? I'm going to go in a slightly different direction here. Everybody good? 
Okay, I'll take that as a yes, Bonnie. Here we go. Patrick Heffernan, you have a very good point you sent me in your notes. You say, talking about transforming is not the same as doing it. Really? Of course, really. And you gave me two examples. One is a fictitious or maybe, I suspect, anonymous company X. The other one, in contrast, is IBM. And you say, you won't give me the name of company X unless I prod you. <laughs> I'll try not to, but I have a feeling Eric and Sunil might prod you or they might come up with the name. So, Patrick, why don't you give us – we love case studies, by the way. We love sound bites because that's what makes it so easy for our listeners to take away the words of wisdom you're sharing here. So let's do this case study of Company X Anonymous and IBM on the other side. Go ahead, Patrick, and then we'll have Sunil and Eric chime in. Sure. So I'll take the fictional company first. And a couple years mm-hmm. ago, they they announced a 3.0 strategy. Uh, they promised uh, lots of wholesale changes, and, and a lot of it was in reaction to Things that Sunil has just been mentioning with with uh, the impact of cloud on line of business and on on innovation, and so they they made a great announcement. Um, they talked a, a great game, and then we've been tracking them, and, and we we publish reports on them every quarter. And uh, when I noticed in one of them that that they hadn't made any progress, I actually just sent out a tweet uh, about how their their 3.0 strategy seems stalled, and sure enough, the um, the phone rang, and, and one of their AR analyst relations folks wanted to get on the phone and explain how no, 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 it's just been some headwinds. They've made incremental changes, uh, but they couldn't explain in detail really what was slowing down the strategy. And so you look at this idea, okay, we're going to transform, and you make a big announcement, and then you don't follow through. And I think that is you know maybe worse than than making smaller incremental changes and and having the vision but not trying to trumpet the vision before you're actually able to to complete it or able to really get it going uh, and then you look at IBM in in contrast and then last fall they they had a, a big sale of um, a chunk of their hardware uh, business and they've they've gone from you know the 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 IBM that was uh, the huge mainframe that that sat in in that room off to the side and did all the work. Now they're now they're very much a solutions oriented company. They're an outcomes oriented company. Um, it's services. It's software. Uh, software as a service. Um, that is where IBM is, and and the innovation, and and they're in big data, and they've got Watson, they've got all that. So rather than now, and I and I know IBM puts out their press announcements as well, and and they make their big statements, but they truly have gone through a transformation over the last couple of years, um, and they've been successful at it. And I would guess that you know I I would look at them in contrast to the, the first company I talked about and said. There's a dramatic difference there between, you know, walking the walk and, and, and having a press conference saying, oh, great, we're going to do something. Mm-hmm. Hey, Talking Bonnie, it and – yeah, go ahead, Eric. Hey, Bonnie, it's Eric. So I just want to jump in real quick. Um, Patrick, I'm sure you're not talking about Infosys for 3.0, but, um, <laughs> you know, but putting, putting, the, putting the two aside but really trying to distill what's the difference? What's that secret sauce that our listeners can take away to say, look, when we say something in the media that represents a massive reset or a massive shift, what do you think are the one or two or three success, you know, critical success factors that have to happen internally for the company in order to live the vision that they announce uh, externally? Yeah, I think the two the two most important things are, and this gets back to what I was saying a little bit earlier. Um, you have to know what your core not just values, but what your core operations are that are actually driving where your revenue is coming from and where it's going to grow. If you're, 
if you are able to operate your business successfully and if you're able to continue doing that, even as you go through a transformation, then you're going to be able to weather you know, the changes that come out. You know, obviously things like cloud, um, it's a disruptor, but it's been on the horizon and, and it's now here for a while. There are other disruptors that come about, you know, that, that you can't predict. But if, if you're an, an IBM is a, a perfect example of a company that solidly gets the, the doing business part of doing business right, um, their operations, the way they manage resources, that's all solid in place, consistent. And having that as, as your baseline is, is important. The, the other critical thing I think is, and this, this is not going <laughs> to, this may not go over well with everybody, but um, you have to have leadership that's willing to um, not lead from behind, but lead quietly, you know, rather than, mm. rather than make a, a big splash, rather than, than, than enjoy the, the ego that uh, boost that comes with, with saying, I've got this great grand vision. It's, you know, look, it's, it's getting dirty, getting your hands dirty, getting, getting the work done, having the vision, but not trying to make it all about, um, make it all about the vision, make it all about really what you really want to do. What you want a CEO to really truly do is, is lead, not just uh, not just talk, not just make speeches. I hope that makes Patrick, sense. Patrick, to you, it does. And to your, this is Bonnie. To your point, on one of our other Game Changers radio shows this week, someone brought up the point that the era of the CEO as rock star has mm-hmm. to go away. That they mm-hmm. have to be a leader. And you're talking about a quiet leader who knows. That leads me into another. I'm going to ask a question to the whole panel. We're going to go four more minutes until the break. If we keep going strong, I will not even take a break. That's not a, a threat. It's just a warning. So my question to the whole panel. Let's Let's take these a couple of questions from Dave Fowler, who sponsors the series. I want to make sure we cover them, and let's do them in very quick answers. So my question to the whole panel, first Eric and then Patrick and then Sunil, is will the pace of transformation continue to accelerate, meaning time frames for transformation will compress? Eric, what do you see? Give me a 30-second answer if you can. We're just going to go around the table fast. So easy answer, God, yes. Our answer is... <laughs> Right. Pace of change happens so much more quickly because there's so many more mouths to feed. There's so many more people who care about what happens now, not just shareholders, but stakeholders alike. Everybody is impacted, not just by a 3.0 failure, but by an IBM potential success. So expectations are heightened. And once Pandora has been let out of the box, it's not going Mm -hmm. back in. Time compression happens faster. Expectations happen faster. Transformation must happen faster. Thank you. Patrick Heffernan, what do you see? Will the pace of transformation keep accelerating, keep getting faster, and we will those time frames just get squeezed? <laughs> sure, of course, but we're smarter and we're faster and we're better networked and we're better connected. And we've seen the mistakes we've made in the past, and we're hopefully a little bit better at uh, not making those same mistakes again. So I agree with Eric. Things are going to speed up. Of course they are. Um, I think I think it is important to keep that perspective. You know, we do things now faster, smarter. Sunil mentioned failing fast. I mean, that's something that we do mm-hmm. now that that wasn't done before, and, and that's the way that we're going to keep pace with the change even as the change gets faster. Right. In the past, failure was a dirty word. Now we say fail fast. We accept that it's a learning experience and part of growth and transformation. Good point. Sunil, thoughts on the pace of transformation? Yes, no? Absolutely. The pace of transformation will continue to accelerate. I mean, partly because it can and partly because customers, whether consumers or other businesses, demand it, right, in order for them to keep pace with their transformations. I mean, we remember when – in the industrial age, you know, the beginning of the last century where it took forever for change to happen, for instance, in manufacturing. And now with technology can happen quickly, 
And of course, we all know the famous quotes from um, you know Andy Grove at Intel and how he wanted to basically shrink the processor in size every 18 months, right? I mean, it happens even faster than that now, you know, with the internet and software and all the change that we can make. And I, I think it's just going to be exciting to continue to see. So yes, faster. Thank you, Sunil. I have another question. We may skip the break. Let's see how this one goes. Question for the whole panel, starting with Eric. Is change in itself, transformation in itself, a competitive advantage, or is that a bad reason for transformation? Or a good reason? Eric? (laughs) Well, those are two separate questions, right? Um, Transformation itself isn't a competitive advantage, much like I'm not convinced cloud in and of itself is a panacea, right? Mm -hmm. I think that cloud is a vehicle for change. And I think change really happens, whether it's fictional emphasis versus IBM or anyone else, change really happens when you have the internal capabilities, starting to, to Patrick's point about the CEO more concerned about legacy than ego, more concerned about the long-term success of we, not the short-term rock star of me, and it goes down from there. So I think the change capacity and change capability can be a competitive advantage, and in fact, in a faster-moving market that's much more disruptive in nature, that is a competitive advantage. Um, so the second piece uh, is, is transformation constantly sort of needed and in, in sort of that ability? I think the answer there, too, is yes. You know, um, Sunil, you mentioned Andy Grove. Andy Grove is famous, obviously, for wanting to be paranoid. I want CEOs nightly to be going to sleep thinking, God, how do I prevent being Polaroid or Kodak? Because I'm going to be if I don't. Um, so transformation isn't in and of itself competitive advantage, but the capabilities behind that enable a company to transform can be. Great insight. Thank you. Patrick, before you speak, I want to read one of your talking points exactly on this. You say, invest in a flashlight. Good intelligence is like a flashlight in the dark. It doesn't tell you where to go. It tells you what's around you. So on the question of is there a competitive advantage just to saying we're transforming or like Eric said, go ahead. Yeah, anytime you you bring up the word competitive, my my ears perk up. I mean, I did competitive intelligence for a while, and you know, Eric, your your point about the CEO being being worried, being paranoid, not being able to sleep at night, that's exactly what competitive intelligence is all about, and that's exactly where you get the competitive advantage is you know what the others are doing. And that's the flashlight. It, yeah, you you do need to have good intelligence. And and I'm um, um, Bonnie. I'm going to just stay right on that track because this is so much in my wheelhouse that I love go it. Go ahead. Go ahead. You, if you're if you're the really well run companies and the companies that are going to be able to transform smoothly and and do it in a successful way are going to have competitive intelligence. They're going to have a network that allows them to understand what's happening around them from their competitors, what's happening around them from the people that influence their market. And the CEOs that understand that and invest at that, yeah, they're they're still going to bed worried about something, but they're a lot less worried than the ones that, that don't have that flashlight, that don't have that CI capability, that don't know what's going on around them. That's critical. And Patrick, I apologize for jumping in, but I've, I've shared this for two seconds. I think mm-hmm. CI is absolutely critical. Uh, like you, I used to, I've built CI organizations, uh, really brand name companies as well. CI is absolutely critical. But here's the difference, and, and this is one of the things that gets back to transformation cap, uh, capacity as competitive advantage. We have to realize that our employees are also our consumers. They're also anonymous influencers online. There are also the same community activists who are making yay nay decisions about uh, whether we're going to allow a retail store, one of our own chains, to in fact be in our local community. So competitive intelligence is terrific. But I'd go a step further and I'd say it's not just competitive intelligence anymore. 
Now it's stakeholder intelligence. Now you need to be pulling your employees, not about their satisfaction with working with your company, but pull your employees as representative slices of civil society to try to figure out, well, where are we headed, where are your pain points, and how can we create solutions to those pain points as well. So if we expand CI, I think, to include that stakeholder intelligence and recognize that our employees can, in fact, also, because of all the different hats they wear, have intelligence that goes beyond what rivals are doing, I could not agree with what you're saying anymore. Thank you. And Sunil, we need to hear from you on the CI competitive intelligence aspect of transformation. Thoughts, please? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I agree with all the all the points that were made. It's it's competitive. It's stakeholder. It's really looking at at everything, right? So I I agree 100%. So absolutely. Okay. Thank you very much. You know what? I think we're going to skip the break. This is going so well. I'm going to fire one question more across the bow here to all three of my panelists, and then we're going to go immediately into the predictions round. We like to call it the crystal ball round and ask you if we met five or six years from today, because we know hindsight is 2020, and that's only six years away. My goodness, it really is. What would you be talking about in terms of business transformation? But just a quick question for all of you. Eric, you first, please. Best practices. What are today's best practices companies doing about managing their business transformation? Is it a slow and steady? Is it a fast fail? Do they have parts of their organization that are the transformation team? How do they do it? Just give us a 30-second overview if you can. Challenging every closely held assumption they have about everything from what's a customer to what's an employee to how do we drive and uh, deliver value to whoever we think our customers might be, and whether that includes not only cross-functional teams, but more importantly, looking external, to Patrick's point about CI, uh, looking outside the organization as well. It all starts with challenging your most closely held assumptions, so you're never again caught flat-footed when cloud or something like that disruptive hits your market. Thank you, Eric. Patrick Heffernan, thoughts about that? Yeah, two, two things. Core values, you've got to know what you do well. You've got, to know, you've got to know what you bring to the market, why it is that people turn to you. You've got to have that core value, and you got to have mission. You've got to know what you're going to do. And mission is one thing that has to permeate through an entire company. Companies that perform well, companies that transform well are ones where every single person knows what the mission is, not only theirs, but the company's mission from the CEO all the way down to the guy sitting across the desk from me right now. Mm, sounds like you need to get the energy going. You need to get a sustainable wave, a groundswell, if you will, of buy-in across the company so everybody is part of that mission. Thank you. Sunil Patel, thoughts on this? Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with um, everything that's been said. I'd just like to add that I think there are some new tools and, and techniques that um, can be borrowed to help foster a lot of this. So, for instance, we've leverage something called design thinking across our organization, which is a way to look at um, your customer, to look at your constituents, et cetera, in a very design-based way to see how they would leverage your products and services differently in innovative ways. You know, And then another thing is, um, and this comes from uh, software development, is some of this what we call the scrum methodology, where you can go through cycles of fast failing. So there are ways and approaches that you can borrow even from, you know, other processes, techniques that you can leverage to help foster some of this innovation, right? So, and that's just to add on to what's already been said. 
Thank you very much. Guess what? We are officially now in the predictions round. It's crystal ball time. I know you all had the crystal ball nearby, whether you had to run out to the boat shed or the trunk of the car or the attic. I know you all did that because you get the drill. Eric Lowett, what do you see if we met again five or six years from now? What would we be talking about? What would be different about the future of business transformation? Will it be every company will have transformed in the, in the intervening five or six years, or will there still be in the future they'll be talking about it? What do you see? Perpetual motion? Perpetual motion, indeed. I think that you know, two things come to mind. First is we're going to discover we didn't push ourselves hard enough, fast enough. We didn't aim high enough. Patrick's point, uh, translated uh, mission and values can be translated to a North Star. Companies desperately need that in order to know who they are. But I think what we're going to discover is sometimes companies' heritage, which uh, helps them not only know who they are but uh, differentiate themselves in the marketplace, it's ultimately may very well be that it's the heritage of the organization seen through that North Star that doesn't just help drive success, but for some companies helps drive failure. If you're a company that's a soda company and that's all you do, and that's what you've done for 150 years, guess what? The market trend is not your friend. It's your enemy. You're not pushing hard enough if you're not starting with the question of what do we do if we can't sell soda anymore? Now what does our business look like? So I think we're going to discover in five years we didn't push hard enough, fast enough, and didn't challenge ourselves strongly enough. Thank you, Eric Lowe. I'd appreciate that. Patrick Heffern and Patrick, I have a quick future present question for you. Did Elizabeth, everything turn out okay? Elizabeth Hedstrom, Helen is a friend of ours here on SAP Radio. Uh, did the big event happen? I saw her this morning. She could not be larger, but she has not yet had the baby. You're kidding. We had her on almost an emergency last week on the show, and she was due that day. OMG. Well, please give her our best. Give her a gentle, what we call a butterfly hug and a butterfly kiss. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Very, very gentle. Patrick, it's your turn. I'll give you about a minute and a half for crystal ball, and take your time. Go ahead. Sure. I'm going to say something that no one's going to like. Uh, Five years from now, we're going to realize that we way overestimated the importance of millennials. They're all the same. They they want to be they want a job that they can get respect and, and give respect. They want to get paid. They want to have a life outside of work. I think we spend a lot of time talking about transformation and the impact of millennials. They're going to be just like every other generation that's come before them. Uh, I think that's what we're going to look back in five years and say. And I think we're also going to say that we underestimated how the slow and critical transformation of some of the largest companies. You know, we 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 get very caught up in the. The IPOs, the, the, the newest things, the whatever's in the, the Wall Street Journal, the, the, the exciting companies that, that sound great. You know, it's GE, it's Walmart, it's IBM, it's probably Coca-Cola. These companies are massive. When they transform, they have a ripple effect on the rest of our economy that is, is critical. And five years from now, we're going to say, wow, we, we didn't see that coming as much as we should have, and it has a huge impact on the rest of us. Thank you very much. And let's turn to Sunil Patel at SAP. Sunil, what does the crystal ball tell you about the fate, if you will, of business transformation? Uh, And you can pick any sector, any industry, any size company. What do you see? Absolutely. I I see a couple of things. Um, I see that I think transformation of certain industries will, um, again, as it has in at least the last 10 to 20 years, it will shake up, you know, what are the – top 10 or top 20 most valued companies, I mean, and, I mean, across industries. I mean, this transformation and change, you know, helping driven by technology has created some fairly large companies, whether it's, you know, Google as an example, right? I mean, that's all sort of technology. So I think we'll, we might be surprised by what comes up in the next few years in terms of the next, 
you know, multi-billion dollar uh, company. So the, the second thing I think we'll see is I think we'll see um, from a, especially from a consumer perspective, I think we'll see a slightly different view of, you know, technology. It just seems to have consumed everyone I know. Uh, I think I was reading a study that someone looks at their uh, smartphone well over two to 300 times a day or something. I think you might see folks actually want to leverage technology to help, um, you know, to help actually become more efficient so that they can actually hopefully spend more time with other people, right? So that's that's a change that I think that we might see. Um, I'm seeing some of it already, but I think that, you know, becoming more efficient with your time would, would be good as well. So those are just Thank a couple you. of thoughts. Thank you, Sunil. Appreciate that. Guess what? We've got a minute to close, and I'm going to take it all for myself. My predictions are... Well, it's Thursday. That means we're going to take a break tomorrow from SAP Radio and come back strong on Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific with Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Tuesday, no, it's not Belgium. It's HR Trends with Game Changers, if you're old enough to remember the movie, 9 a.m. Pacific. Wednesday is our flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers. And Thursday, we'll be right back here again with another edition of Future of Business with Game Changers. Shout-outs to Dave Fowler at SAP Services for sponsoring the series. Sushi Sharma. Thank you so much for helping us get, well, we were introduced to uh, to Sunil through you, and thank you very much for getting him on board. Very smart guy, and we're glad to meet him. And thank you also for tweeting, Sushi, and thank you to Sylvia Santelli and SAP Services and Michelle Jones. Thank you to Richard Green at CT Discoveries for introducing us to Eric and to Malcolm Kimberlin at SAP, Brad and the Business Channel team, Andy Grieg. Hope the power comes back on in Philadelphia. And thank you, of course, to my wonderful guest, Eric Lowett at Nexus Global Advisors. Great points, Eric. Nice to have you on board. Patrick Heffern and a TBR give our best to Elizabeth and to you as well. We love having TBR on board and Sunil Patel at SAP. It's been a pleasure. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. If it's raining, stay inside. You could be a game changer inside. We'll talk to you on Monday when it's time again for financial excellence with game changers. Hey, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.